Hi, I'm Pastor Torin Brooks, and welcome to Faith Christian Church. So glad you decided to join us today. For the next 30 minutes, we're going to be looking through God's Word and finding ways for it to apply to our lives today. Hope you enjoy this morning's sermon. And it asks the question, why are you where you're at? And I wanted to go through it and pick some, some different stories throughout the Bible from different locations, because how many of you know sin is not the only reason that we are where we're at? Sometimes there are other circumstances that are involved, and and you know, when we have a, a whole group of people from different backgrounds and different areas and different circumstances, the Word of God still matters to all of us. Glad four of you agree with me. The Word of God still matters to all of us. And it's about finding the stories that are going to make a difference in your life and my life so when we get to the place, we can turn around and see what God is doing and, and find some, some, some answers uh, for us. I want to talk about an individual this morning, uh, one of my favorite characters. You can go ahead, if you've got your Bibles, you can open to 2 Kings chapter 5. No one ever asked Naaman this question, but I just want to talk about Naaman this morning for just a minute. I want you to use your imagination. This is not, of course, a behold moment as it's written in the scripture, but I do want you to use your imagination for just a little while this morning. And that you can see what God is doing. If there ever was a time to ask Naaman the question, why are you where you're at? It was in the middle of the Jordan River. Now, for all of his life, Naaman was a soldier. He wasn't just a sol one soldier. He wasn't just a leader of soldiers. He was a great soldier. And how many of you know great soldiers get into battles and get wounded? Naaman was one of these who probably was in the middle of a battle one day found himself being stabbed with a sword and didn't feel anything. For the Bible said that Naaman had leprosy. Leprosy is a disease which destroys nerve endings in your body, and eventually when you get a scratch, you don't feel it, and the infection can set in, and it could be weeks or months before you realize it. Many of us think of leprosy as, as that disease where people lose their fingers and toes and their noses and their ears. All that is from losing nerve endings and having damage to them and them not feeling it. Eventually, the skin just decays, and finally, it brings about death. Naaman was a great soldier, but he had this great problem. He had leprosy. If there ever was a moment, it was when Naaman finds himself in the middle of a muddy river. Now, I, I want you to picture this for a minute. We'll, we'll do the backstory in a minute and get to the river, but I want you to picture this moment. And I'm just going to kind of use my imagination since I have one. And I'm going to pretend that I'm, I'm naming and I'm thinking about this. Here I am in my robe with all of my soldiers and people with me. The whole army, armada of people he brought with him to see the prophet. If you know anything about leprosy, it's a disease with open sores and open wounds. Sometimes blood just pus just protrudes out of the body. And the prophet of God asked the man with open wounds and sores to get into a muddy, disease-infected river. And not just go into the river, but to dip in the river seven different times. Now, if Naaman was a germaphobe, he probably got to the edge of the river and he said, why am I here? Why am I, what am I thinking? Because in the natural mind, what 
what the prophet of God asked Naaman to do is a death sentence. Now, maybe you've never been sick like this before, but I'm going to tell you something. Sometimes getting into the river means all kinds of problems. If there is one type of bacteria that could get inside of Naaman's bloodstream and kill him, it would be in that river. It was a nasty river. It was a muddy river. It had, I'm sure there were leeches. By the way, we found more at camp this week. So uh, there were leeches in the water. There were, there were, there were nasty. I mean, I mean, one of my favorite things that I tell my kids sometimes, I tell them not to drink the water because fish pee-pee in the water. You don't want to drink that water. Don't do that. It's nasty water. It's infected water. And Naaman is looking at this thinking, if I go in that water, I don't just risk embarrassment. See, most of us, when we think about Naaman, we think about Naaman risking embarrassment going into the water. All these people are watching him. You know, he's not given some miraculous uh, uh, ointment. He's not given some miraculous cure. He's not been waved over or blown dust on. He is being asked to walk into a river which could endanger or even take his life. There ever was a time to ask Naaman, why am I where I'm at? It's right at that moment before he walks in the water. How did he get there? Well, it's very simple. Let me read you this story. 2 Kings chapter 5, verse 1. Now Naaman, the commander of the army of the king of Syria, a great and honorable man in the eyes of his master, because by him the Lord had given victory to Syria. He was also a mighty man of valor, but a leper. And the Syrians had gone out on raids and had brought back captive a young girl from the land of Israel. And she waited on Naaman's wife. Then she said to her mistress, If only my master were with the prophet who is in Samaria, then he would heal him of his leprosy. Then Naaman went and told his master, saying, Thus and thus said the little girl who is from the land of Israel. And the king of Syria said, Go now, and I will send a letter to the king of Israel. And he departed and took with him ten talents of silver, six thousand shekels of gold, and ten changes of clothing. And when he brought the letter to the king of Israel, which said, Now be advised, when this letter comes to you, that I have sent Naaman my servant to you, that you may heal him of his leprosy. And it happened when the king of Israel read the letter that he tore his clothes and said, Am I God to kill and make alive that this man, that this man sends a man to me to heal him of his leprosy? Therefore, please consider and see, and see how he seeks a quarrel with me. So it was when Elisha, the man of God, heard that the king of Israel had torn his clothes, they sent to the king, saying, Why have you torn your clothes? Let, me come to, let him come to me, and he shall know that there is a prophet in Israel. Then Naaman went with his horses and chariot and stood at the door of Elisha's house. And Elisha sent a messenger to him, saying, Go and wash in the Jordan seven times, and your flesh shall be restored to you, and you shall be clean. But Naaman became furious and went away, saying, Indeed, I said to myself, he will surely come out to me and stand and call upon the name of the Lord as God and wave his hand over the place and heal the leprosy. Are not Abana and Fepar, the rivers of Damascus, better than all the waters of Israel? Could I not wash in them and be clean? And he turned away and went in a rage. Let me stop right there for just a minute and clarify a few things I find very interesting in this passage. It just so happens that God lets a little girl be held captive. I'm sure she was a teenage girl. They talk a lot. And uh, 
I'm sure that uh, as she was talking uh, to her, or her, the lady who she was taking care of, she happened over here because how many of you know that when you got a problem as severe as leprosy, it doesn't just affect the one person, it affects everybody. And Naaman's wife, realizing that she cannot uh, be close with her husband because of fear of contracting leprosy, which by the way is very contagious. I'm sure as, 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 as uh, any wife loves her husband that she misses uh, being with her husband and says, oh, I wish something could be done. And this little girl says, well, I know of a prophet that has a connection to God. And if he could just be with this prophet, I know he could be healed of his leprosy. Can I tell you that just like this woman, Naaman's wife, uh, the world is looking for a shred of hope this morning. A shred of hope. They don't have to have a lot of hope, just a little bit of hope. Because everywhere you go around today, people are making the dumbest comments about the silliest things when we should be focusing on the things that are the real problems in life. I mean, come on, folks. I, I mean, we're, we're sitting there arguing about Chick-fil-A but, but listen, souls are being lost. People are dying. I love Chick-fil-A as much as the next person. Where else can you buy a gallon, hallelujah, of sweet tea? It's wonderful. I'd buy it anywhere if I could. A gallon, a real sweet anyway, I digress. Listen, we're sitting there arguing with each other on Facebook. So they're screaming at each other about whether you do this or you do that. And souls are dying. The world is looking for a shred of hope. And you would think the one place they could come to is the church to find that hope. She says, listen, I know of a place that he just, just maybe, if he could get into the presence of the prophet, he'll be healed. And you know what? I guarantee you it did not take till dinner time for, for Naaman's wife to go up to Naaman and say, Naaman, I've got it. I've figured it out. You need to run to Syria. Now, if you're naming, you got to remember, Syria is not really the place you want to go back to because Syria is just the place you just raided. <laughs> Come on, let's add a little practical sense to the Bible this morning. Let's, let's take it for what it is. If Naaman is true to his word, he's a great commander of armies, you've got to remember he just raided Syria. That's where the little girl came from. And, and if he just raided Syria, Syria might not be the best place to go to. But he's got one thing going for him. At least the people in Syria are afraid of him. So when he sends a letter to the king, the letter sends a king to the, uh, sends a letter from his king to the king of Israel. He goes in. Now listen, it says that he's already got his horses and his chariot, and he's got people with him. So the so here comes Naaman, the commander of his army, comes into the throne room of the king of Israel, hands him a note, and the note says, "This is what the little girl said. Now make it happen." And the king of Israel tears his clothes. Now, you would think for one moment that the king of Israel would not need to tear his clothes. But there is a great problem with the king of Israel. you got to understand, the king of Israel remembers the days of Elijah. Remember the days of Elijah? The fire coming down from heaven, consuming the altar. No rain for three and a half years. These giant miracles, these great wonders, 
for everyone to see, there's only one problem. Elijah's gone. Elijah's not there anymore. And the things that Elisha's been doing are small. Now, you might not, the woman who with the jar of oil might not think that. Because to her it was big. But let's just think of this in a practical situation. The miracle of the jar of oil was rather small. And not everybody saw the crossing of the river Jordan. And there were only a hundred men at the feeding when he, when he made the food for a hundred men out of the small meal. There, these aren't major miracles. And let me tell you something. Leprosy is a major problem. If there ever was a time for the God, for Elijah to show up, it's right now. But guess what? Elijah's gone. We only have Elisha. And I don't know what the, what the king's relationship with Elisha was, but I can tell you this. It wasn't good because, because he didn't go send for Elisha. Elisha sent word to him. Can I tell you, in today's day and age, there's a great distrust between the government and the church. Do you know, by the way, if anyone tells you that there must be a separation of church and state, I want you to know that is a bold-faced lie. When Jefferson wrote that letter, what he was talking about was he was talking about making sure that the church, that the state didn't control the church. Not that there be separate. Listen, you can't, every government on the history of the earth that denies God and pushes God out of them, they don't last. Listen to this preacher. I'm telling you a truth this morning. There was a, like you said earlier, there was a disconnect between government leaders and the man of the hour who could perform the miracle that was needed in the crisis. When Elisha heard that the king had rent his clothes, I love this. Elisha said, bring him to me. Bring him to me. Listen, the church cannot be afraid when people come with desperate needs. I'm going to say that again, just in case you didn't hear me or something. The church today cannot be afraid when someone comes to the door in desperate need. If there's anything that has crushed, crushed, the church it's fear fear of God not responding fear of maybe we're saying the wrong prayer fear of maybe we're going to pray and nothing's going to happen or or fear of this fear of that fear fear of fear of being rejected fear of being made fun of can I wake you up this morning Jesus said in in the last chapters of John if the world hates me they're going to hate you too no servants greater than their master you got to get on the right side of things and realize the person you really need to be afraid of is Jesus, not the world. If you live your entire life afraid of what people are going to say about you instead of what God's going to say when you meet Him face to face one day, you've got the wrong fear. Can I relieve your fear for just a moment and let you realize something? The, all the people of the world will not be there on the day of judgment. So all their comments... All their comments and all their suggestions and all their ridicule are gone the moment you pass on from here to eternity. And the only one that matters after that is Jesus. Elisha, I'm sure Elisha wasn't worried. Now, Elisha, to this point, had never healed anybody of leprosy before. But he knew the God of healing. 
Oh, you missed that. You missed you, it just right over your head, didn't it? Now, he had never healed anybody of leprosy before, but he knew the God of healing. He knew who had control over, over the earth. He knew who had control over healing. And he said, send him to me. And so Naaman, Naaman goes, and I love it. He says, so that, so that he will know that there is a prophet in Israel. Now, now he said that, kind of talking about Naaman. But you know who really needed to know there was a prophet in Israel? The king of Israel. The king of Israel needed to know there was a prophet in Israel. You know what this nation needs to know? They need to know there's a church that knows how to pray. There's a church that knows how to seek the face of God. There's a church they can go to, and if they're sick in their body, we can lay hands on the sick and know that God will raise them up. This world needs to know there's a place they can come to when they're tired and depressed. There's a place they can come to when they're weary, even in well-doing. There's a place they can come to when they have nowhere else to turn. So Naaman gets on his chariot and he rides with his horses and he comes to Elisha's house. And Elisha never opens the door. <laughs> In fact, Elisha sends Gehazi, his servant, out and says, My master said, Go wash in the Jordan seven times and you'll be healed. See ya. Now think about that for a minute. Here... The king has torn his clothes. Here the prophet has said, come to my house. And when he comes to the house, the prophet never comes outside. All he does is say, go wash in that nasty, muddy, germ-infested river. Not once, not twice, not three times, but seven times. Go all the way under. And, and Naaman says, you've got to be kidding me. He said, the least, the least the prophet of God could do is show me some honor. Show me some kind of... Show me I, that I'm appreciated. Show me I deserve to get this healing. He doesn't. Says he was furious and he went away. He said, said, surely he will come out to me and stand and call in the name of the Lord. Wave his hand over the place and heal. Look, he was waiting for some kind of just, just miraculous, some kind of just magical event to happen. And it wasn't going to happen. Can I take a side note here? And I think sometimes when we ask God to do things for us, we expect the same thing that Naaman does. Oh, I can see it now. Mm, get the organ going. Yeah. Just, just everything. Everybody's all coming around. Get ready to lay hands. I feel the oil pouring down my head. And people are going, how? And just... Wow! Rainbows and unicorns and everybody just happy and, and, and the, the lights will brighter and, and it doesn't happen. I hate to burst your bubble, but there are no unicorns. And rainbows don't come out of just pure sunshine, folks. They come out of storms and rain. And if I poured anointing oil on some of your heads, you'd hit me for messing up your hair. Some of you who have hair. <laughs> for, the, for the rest of us, we, we just, uh, it just drains real quick down into our eyebrows or something. But you got this idea. Naaman came with this wonderful idea. And now Naaman is standing at the bank 
of a muddy river with the option of getting worse diseases than leprosy. Worse, he could die from this. Now, he's going to die from leprosy if he keeps leprosy, but he could die from this. Do you understand the anger in his, in his heart? Can I tell you any time you have preconceived ideas of God, you're liable to be let down. I love people who have these wonderful, grand, and glorious ideas of God that aren't even in the Bible. They're these pictures, these images they've created for themselves to make God grander and glorier than, than, than the Word makes Him out to be. Because they, they need something tangible and something, something magical about God to make God real. And all Naaman gets is instructions to go bathe in an ass. He won't even get clean. Do you not get that? Even if he's clean to leprosy, he's going to be nasty, filthy from the mud. Do you get that? I mean, this is, this is ridiculous. Who in the world made this guy a prophet? Really? I mean, who made this guy in charge? Verse 13 says, But one of his servants came near and spoke to him and said, My father, if the prophet had told you to do something great, would you not have done it? How much more then when he says to you, Wash and be clean? If he told you to do something difficult, Something grand and glorious. Because you're talking about Naaman now. Who was Naaman? He was a great warrior. He was used to doing great feats. He was, he was one of these kind of guys who could probably jump over a troop and leap over a wall. You know, one of these guys who could slay thousands. If he'd been in David's time, he might have been one of David's mighty men. Who knows? You know? David had some weird guys in his army. Guys killing people with their bare hands that one guy jumped in a pit with a lion on a snowy day you got to be insane to do that this guy was he said listen he said why are you so why are you so messed up with this river why why don't you understand it's not about the river it's never about the river and it's not about your life either because you're going to die one way or the other You know what the secret to great revival is in America? It's, 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 not, it's not going out of the ordinary. You know, I think some churches, you know, make a big deal about the stage and the lighting. I, I, I laughed at them at camp uh, one night during the altar service. Uh, right? I mean, the, the, the guy gets, says, bow your heads and close your eyes, and they turn off all the lights. I said, what are you trying to do? Make the kids go to sleep? No, it creates an atmosphere. I said, oh, brother, you're wrong. Lights don't create an atmosphere. The Holy Spirit's presence and the anointing makes an atmosphere. If you don't got that, I don't care what you do with the lights. You can strobe them until they all seize out. You're not gonna, they're going to make the Holy Spirit fall. If the Holy Spirit's not there, He's not there. That's not atmosphere. You could, you, could, you could try to make the biggest environment imaginable. Have the biggest crowd available. 
have this large performance, bringing all these special music groups. That's not going to bring revival. You know what brings revival? Obedience. It's never about the river. It was never about the task. It was always about the willingness to do the task. He's asking the question, why am I where I'm at? I'm here because I need hope. I'm here because I need healing. I'm here because I need God to do something in me or else I'm going to die. You ever been there? I have. God, if you don't pick me up and place my feet on solid ground again, I'm not going to be able to, oh, maybe you never, oh, you know what? Maybe you've not been there before. I have. Come on, I'm talking about that desperateness. The, 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 I'm sick of living the way I'm living. And if I don't get help today, I'm not going to be able to make it tomorrow. Naaman, Naaman was grabbing for any hope he could get. And he was stuck on the fact obedience would lead him to a muddy, nasty river. And all he could think about was how muddy the water was. You listen to me, and listen to me well, because the next scripture tells the rest of the story, and I don't want to, we all know what happens. I want to talk about what's going to happen to you. Are you listening to me this morning? I hope you're listening to me. Do you understand? What happens to you in these next few days and weeks of your life has nothing to do with your environment. Come on. What happens to you in the next few weeks and months of your life has nothing to do with your environment. It has everything to do with your obedience to what God's about to ask you to do next. Why are we where we're at? We're where we're at because we're desperate. That's why Naaman was there. Naaman was at the bank of that muddy river because he was desperate. Naaman was at that because he was tired of living the way he was living. And he wanted something new, something fresh, something that was going to work, and something that was going to last for a lifetime. And he said, I don't know, but if this is what it takes. And he said, and then when he didn't get what he wanted, when he didn't get the pizzazz, when he didn't get the, the revelatory heavens and open up, fire coming down kind of revelation, he got mad. And he, but it was, it was not about that. Look, if we could have learned a lesson from Elisha, we should have, I mean, Elijah, we should have learned that God's not always in the fire and the, and the rumblings and the thunders. And yet he's at this place where he's standing there looking at this muddy river and says, and his servant says, hey, it's not a hard thing God's asking you to do. It's just obedience he's looking for. Because I want you to know something. If Naaman had dipped in the river once and said, this is nasty, I'm out of here, he'd have never been healed. Now you think about that for a minute. Because it wasn't the river. He could have dipped four times, five times, six times. And if he had gotten up after six times and just been covered in mud and leeches and who knows else what was in that water, nasty little fish that get under your socks. And, I mean, it would have been, it was horrible. But God wasn't looking to see how many, God wasn't up there just going, well, he, I think he's got just enough mud on him. He's looking for obedience. And you know what? 
We're always going to be stuck with that one thing that keeps us from moving forward in our lives until we become obedient to God. You are always going to find yourself in a desperate situation. Whether you always feel like your life is on the edge of a knife until you learn to stop living for yourself and start being obedient to God. See, most people live their entire life feeling incomplete. And they'll get to be 60, 70, 80 years old and wonder what they're missing. They've already done everything they wanted to do. They've already gone everywhere they wanted to go. They've seen everything they wanted to see. They can't imagine what in the world's left out. Well, without God, God's left out. You can have all the money in the world, but without God, you have nothing. People don't get that. They think, if I do a just great feat, you know, we're watching the Olympics this, these last couple of days, and people are doing some great things. World records are being broken, and all these people come out, and they're all cheering. But listen, nothing in that matters, because all that gold will one day go away. Back with the economy the way it is, I wouldn't be surprised if you could buy a couple of those medals on eBay in a couple of years. All God wanted Naaman to do was just be obedient. Naaman does something extraordinary, by the way. When he comes out of the water on the seventh time. It says, And according as it was to the word of the man of God, his flesh was restored. Like the, listen, like the flesh of a little child. Now that's saying something. That's saying something. Because God didn't just heal him of his leprosy. God healed him of all of his scars. This is a warrior. I've been in football games and gotten, more, and gotten scars. <laughs> this is a warrior. He fought battles. God didn't just heal him of the leprosy. He healed him completely. He didn't just heal him part way. He healed him all the way. So do you know what he wanted to do? Naaman came out of the water and said, you know what I want to do? He goes, I want to take a bit of land. I want to dig up the earth in this spot. I want to take it back home. And I want to put that land down, and I want to build an altar to God on land from where God exists. You know, the prophet said, that's not really necessary. But God healed him. God healed him. And finally he said to him, go in peace. Listen, can I ask you a question this morning? How desperate are you? We're so glad you watched today, but you really should visit in person. Service times are at 10 o'clock on Sunday morning, 6 p.m. on Sunday night, and 7 p.m. on Wednesday night. We're located at 582 Rockingham Road. It's on Highway 5 across from Everett Inn in Bells Falls. You can also visit our website at www.faithchristianag.com. God bless you.